Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Celentano, our business editor, and Sharp Smith, our technology editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Our Q1 2022 issue is in production and will be available shortly. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com intelligence. Well, gentlemen, I think, Sharp, you're going to talk about T-Mobile and a 5G test. Yes, Leslie, uh, the uh, president of uh, technology for T-Mobile spoke at the uh, UBS Future of 5G event uh, this week, and he uh, basically gave an update as to the build-out of of their 5G spectrum and uh, uh, reminded us it's only been two years since they uh, merged with uh, with Sprint, and they've uh, they've built out uh, uh, FDD uh, 600 megahertz spectrum nationwide, and uh, which if you like skinny channels, uh, that's good. Uh, and um, but other than just getting a 5G signal, it's really not 5G. Uh, but uh, they have made uh, great progress in the area of uh, of of uh, two dot five, and uh, he uh, he said that basically, uh, as of and we knew this uh, as of uh, the end of Q one, they had covered two hundred twenty five million people, and uh, but he did give a prognostication that that number will grow to two hundred sixty million people by the end of the year, and then 300 million people uh, by the end of uh, 2023. Uh, so if you remember, uh, 2.5 is the, uh, was really the, the, the spectrum treasure that they picked up when they, when they merged with, with Sprint. So uh, currently, T-Mobile has uh, an average of 100 megahertz of spectrum across the nation dedicated to 5G in the mid-band. And, uh, and he reminded us, as he is wont to do, that uh, that is more than AT&T and Verizon combined. Uh, so, and uh, they're looking to uh, double that number to, uh, at, by the end of uh, 2023. So, uh, uh, so basically they've got 100 megahertz now and uh, so that means they would have 200 megahertz by the end of uh, of next year, and uh, and the little uh, the little nugget that he uh, he he broke uh, during the during the conference was uh, their next big push is uh, going to be in the PCS band or uh, 1.9 uh, gigahertz, and um, uh, T-Mobile has 
uh, 110 megahertz of FDD spectrum in the uh, PCS uh, portfolio. If you combine that with uh, their AWS uh, spectrum, which is uh, 1.7 up and then uh, 2.1 down. So it's all there in uh, what we now call the, uh, the mid band. And uh, it's uh, from everything everyone says, you know, this is the, uh, is really going to be the workhorse spectrum of, uh, of 5G. So uh, it's a, a really good news uh, for, uh, for our friends at, uh, at T-Mobile. And um, he also uh, discussed uh, that they're, uh, uh, they, have, they haven't even started working on uh, 3.45 gigahertz and uh, and the other uh, C-band spectrum that they uh, that they purchased, uh, and uh, there's a technicality that uh, uh, since uh, since the DoD former DoD spectrum, I guess it's still DoD uh, Department of Defense spectrum that's uh, shared in the CBRS band. Since that's sort of a separate piece of uh, spectrum. Um, to, uh, to roll out uh, uh, radios at, uh, in the C-band, basically you have to end up with a, uh, using two radios right now. And AT&T apparently <clears throat> has have had to, uh, uh, to go ahead and, uh, and move forward with that, even though it's expensive and not, uh, you know, not the, uh, the best way to go. Uh, but since T-Mobile has uh, really been busy with all this other spectrum, uh, they're going to wait till next year when uh, uh, there will be a radio available that will cover uh, that whole spectrum block. In fact, in March of this year, Ericsson asked the FCC for permission to build a radio that would cover both the uh, 3.45 gigahertz and uh, the C-band, which is 3.5 Five five gigahertz up to uh, 4.0 gigahertz. So uh, lots of great things going on in uh, in the mid band. So uh, uh, and um, T-Mobile seems to be right in the thick of it. What was the significance of this test? I think it bodes well for our industry because um, every time. Every time they roll out a, a, a spectrum band, that's that's a uh, um, that's basically a uh, more equipment on the towers and more amendments uh, and uh, and that type of thing. Very good, thank you. All right, John, what do you have on tap for us? Well, Leslie, I had the privilege of hosting the moderating a panel at ConnectX a couple weeks ago called the um, Neutral Host Opportunity. And we had on the panel uh, uh, some pretty uh, experienced and knowledgeable people. We had Paul Reddick from uh, Crown Castle. He's the Senior Vice President of Corporate Business and Product Development. We had Sean Shahini, he's CEO of Inorsa Wireless, an engineering firm. And Greg Najjar, who's Director of Sales for DAS and Small Cells at SBA Communications. You know, when you talk neutral host, uh, it conjures different meanings for different people. But 
depending on the application. So basically how we look at it is neutral hosts provide uh, a valuable link between the wireless carriers and enterprises and end users. Um, uh, the neutral host model um, applies mainly to indoor and outdoor distributed antenna systems and small cells. But as the discussion in the panel uh, progressed, we, we realized that model is evolving. Um, you know, there's a few scenarios here. Both Crown Castle and SBA offer neutral host indoor and outdoor DAS and small cells. And basically the DAS rebroadcasts the wireless carrier owned frequencies inside buildings and venues. And from a tower perspective, you know, it's all shared infrastructure, but um, Greg Najar was explaining that, um, you know, they work with the carriers to identify suitable properties for neutral host applications uh, where the carriers need additional coverage and capacity uh, uh, either in a particular geographic area or in a vertical market like uh, hospitality or healthcare. And, uh, and then they work out with the building owners and property managers um, uh, some agreements as to putting uh, a neutral host system inside the buildings uh, the, with the tower companies would own and operate the DAS for the building owners and the uh, carriers uh, would, uh, would pay something towards having their frequencies broadcast inside those buildings. Uh, what came up as far as um, potential new applications involves both CBRS frequency band uh, that is now available and open right architecture um, both um, any discussions these days on neutral host are bringing uh, both those aspects into the discussion. With CBRS, um, um, the, the, the carrier signals basically stay outside the building and inside the building are, are only the CBRS frequencies are broadcast. And then there's a, a connection point at, at the head end uh, equipment that's in the building. But um, um, you know, this gives the tower companies another tool in the toolkit, as Paul Reddick put it, where they can host multiple carriers on a single platform and um, uh, do it more, less expensively and uh, more efficiently than, um, than having to bring all the carrier signals inside the building. Um, you know, everybody expects that the CBRS planning deployment process uh, becomes less complicated because of of the uh, how it's set up and how it works, and um, and we'll likely see more adoption of, uh, in neutral host schemes going forward. ORAN is another aspect of um, uh, of new developments that are impacting the neutral host model, mainly because ORAN starts to uncouple the network elements, and in the tower companies' views, these uncoupled elements can be shared. By that we mean the radio and uh, the baseband units, and uh, even in the core. Uh, some of the challenges, though, that uh, face the operators in, in deploying neutral host are, you know, making sure that the site uh, data is accurate. Um, you know, that uh, if a, if a um, uh, tower company is going uh, into a location that the details of site drawings and uh, design uh, documents are all uh, up to date, at least so that uh, proper planning can be done. But, uh, you know, the panel agreed that the outlook is, uh, is very positive. They, they, they're citing a relentless mobile data demand that really is driving the need for neutral host deployments on multiple fronts. Um, the carriers certainly see in their larger markets capacity doubling almost every year. And more and more, when you realize that calls originate or terminate from inside buildings, 
then this whole notion of uh, having neutral hosts to serve the uh, occupants of the building and, and the owners and managers of those buildings is uh, is uh, becoming even more important. As uh, as uh, Sharp alluded to, we are expanding our frequency ranges and our coverage and the capacity across um, uh, different applications. So. The, uh, we wrapped up the panel with the unanimous agreement that making all these solutions uh, work requires a close working partnership with the carriers, the tower companies, suppliers, and, and the systems integrators that actually do the work. So interesting discussion, Leslie, got a good response from the audience. And, um, uh, you know, it's an area that's going to be uh, an important uh, aspect of the wireless business that we're, we're going to continue to follow. Thank you, John. That was interesting. And it's, and it's always interesting to hear about sessions that happened that some people might not have been able to attend, you know, after the show. So just know that um, ConnectX has put up a series of recordings of the various panel sessions so that if anyone was unable to attend a particular panel they might have had interest in, yeah, you can go to the um, WIA uh, ConnectX website and um, and the, um, the recordings are there for each of the panel sessions. So Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So uh, Thursday, the uh, the Senate, a subcommittee of the Senate Commerce Committee had an oversight hearing for NTIA. And it's been a while. I think it's been four years since they've held such an oversight hearing. And NTIA has had a lot of leadership changes in that time. But now it's important because NTIA you know, is in charge of distributing 45 billion in broadband deployment grants. And NTIA is, you know, a small agency compared to the FCC. So it was kind of unusual, but Congress said, yes, you're the one. Alan Davidson, the uh, administrator answered a lot of questions, but the uh, most of the questions centered around the bead funding. Um, NTIA put out the notice of funding opportunity for the broadband equity access and deployment program last month. That's how you get to bead. And um, several industry associations like NATE, WIA, CCA, WISPA were surprised to find that the language um, in the notice of funding opportunity uh, heavily favored fiber even though they had stressed for months it should be technology neutral. And the infrastructure law, which laid down the path for the bead funding, specified it should be infrastructure, uh, excuse me, technology neutral as well. So um, the Republicans got right to the heart of it. Um, John Thune was the first one to say, why are you leaning towards fiber in this? And um, it was interesting. Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia, you know, fiber is good for West Virginia, but um, even, even she said, you know, this is kind of a surprise. Why, why are you doing this? And he said, NTIA actually expects different states to use different technologies. The notice of funding opportunity allows for that. But then he went further and he said, we think fiber is the gold standard. Um, you know, because it's the most resilient technology. But he acknowledged some for some states, fiber won't be the answer. We do give flexibility for other technologies like um, wireless and satellite delivered broadband. 
The other big focus of the hearing was the FCC's uh, broadband location maps. The language does say that NTIA has to wait for the maps to be done and updated before they start handing out the money. And many of the senators just asked Davidson, are, are you gonna wait? What are you gonna do? Because um, there is, NTIA is kind of under a time crunch on this. They, they feel that way anyway, they're trying to gear up. And he said, yes, we're gonna wait. We, we have to do it carefully. We have to get it right. And um, his take and FCC chairwoman, Jessica Rosenworcel's uh, estimate is that the maps would be, the initial maps would be ready in the fall. But then there's a um, challenge process. The states and localities can say, well, this isn't right. This needs to be fixed. So it's kind of squishy when the maps are really going to get done. And then, of course, when the money's handed out, you know, um, all kinds of experts have been predicting the money won't be handed out until next year, and it won't be early next year either. So another topic that was broached about the language uh, for applying for the bead grants, um, Thune and Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee, they said that it disadvantages, that was a quote, providers that do not use a union workforce to deploy broadband. And they said, well, you know, our states, South Dakota and Tennessee are right to work states. We don't have unions. And this application process should not create unnecessary burdens for providers to get the job done. That was Thune. So Davidson said, Bede will create tens of thousands of jobs. We want it to be safe. That's what's behind these reporting requirements. We have an obligation to make sure that all federal laws are obeyed, including federal labor and employment laws. While NTIA understands states have different approaches to workforce laws, he said, we do not feel this is an undue burden. We don't think it precludes providers in your states from participating in the program. And to all of this, Thune and um, the other senators said, well, you know, we're going to be watching this whole process to see how it plays out. We're going to be watching in TIA. So it'll be interesting. Um, and that was that. Timing is going to be so important here. I, I, I can just see it stretching out and God knows when these rural areas are going to get their money to get the projects built. Yeah, there's no, there's no hard and fast I don't know why NTIA feels it has to rush. There really is no hard and fast deadline. I mean, there is supposedly a 90-day challenge process to the maps, but that doesn't apply to when the money has right. to come out. Um, I, I do know that once the providers get the grants, they have a year to build out. Gotcha. So they'd have to know, well, you'd have to plan. You'd have to, so you can arrange for your supplies that you need for the work to make sure you get all that. Um, but it's, it was stunning for me to hear all that. And it's interesting, too, because NTIA is sort of at the crossroads. You know, they are the uh, overseer of federal spectrum, while the FCC is the overseer of commercial spectrum. NTIA also advises the president on spectrum issues. So they've got like two twin jobs there. Um, and they're talking about creating this spectrum database for the federal agencies because there is none now that would um, 
enable all the agencies to see who has what, what they're doing with it. If there's any that's not being used that some other agency could use. So they're pretty spectrum aware. And for them to put that 100 megabits per second symmetrical up and down, you know, as John, you said to me when we were editing this week, that's code for fiber, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. It's just, it's, oh, and this was interesting. When I was saying they only have 150 people, they've been hiring to, because their, their goal is to have a person on staff to help each state with this uh, application process. They have maybe half of them hired right now, he said. And he said during the hearing, you know, if you guys know of anybody, please let us know. We need good people. And I was like, because um, Marsha Blackburn just asked him point blank, well, how many do you have? Are they staff people? You know, meaning staffers as opposed to freelancers, someone who would have a little bit more weight behind them than someone who floats in and out of the job. Um, it was, I don't know, it, the whole thing was just kind of surprising. Is the goal to have a, one staffer assigned per state? Yes. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because of all the interaction that's yeah, kind of sure. needed. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, that's the goal. And they have about half of them. Here's what I don't understand, Leslie. It's just the, the, the states supposedly can make up their own minds. Well, why? And Congress uh, got provided verbiage that was, was open the door to both wireless and wireline, uh, fiber rather. And and satellite, yeah. It's yeah, whatever. And uh, and then NTIA changes the verbiage over to uh, fiber uh, centric. What uh, exactly? What? Uh, how much leeway does each state have to go? You know, hey, we don't care if you're like uh, doing hundred meg up, hundred meg down. We we need to cover these people with wireless and we need to do it now. Supposedly they have a lot of leeway and they probably have to prove, you know, this is what's needed here. This is what our experts tell us is needed to get this speed of connectivity in this area. And then well, I think the project by project presentations will make that pretty clear what's yeah. doable and what isn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. And then as far as the union question, um, he talked about waivers. Davidson said, um, I don't know how that's going to be. You need a giant waiver for a right to work state. They're going to have to figure out some big exception for that. But um, he was saying you'd need a waiver in some cases and it, it would have to be a pretty high bar. And I thought, what? you know, yeah, I, I understand. They don't want to be giving out waivers willy nilly, but then, why did they put in the union language if they didn't want to have to deal with a million exceptions? That, was that added in also? Yeah, it, it favors, it, the language says something to the effect that um, if you, it, it favors unions, using unions. It also favors buying American, uh, you know, for supplies and such. Well, course, that, that part I can understand, but yes. government should be dictating who you use to do the job. No. Yeah. As long as they're, you know, OSHA compliant and, and certified to technicians, right. you know, it doesn't matter. Right. It shouldn't. 
So it's interesting. How did all these little nuggets get in there? I, you know, would have been nice to have been in the room. <laughs> yeah, you're not Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah, right. Very good. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up another episode of, of Inside Towers Week in Review. Thank you for listening, and we will see you in a week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.